Welcome to the AMP Membership Roundtable Series. I'm Stephanie Decker, a 25-year member. Hi, I'm Bob Chalker, the CEO of AMP. Bob, I've recently seen on social media platforms comments, criticism, most of it positive, but there are some negative posts out there. What can you say about that? What's AMP's view on, on these posts that you're seeing with the negative connotation? Social media, that's such a great, a great question. You know, social media is such a powerful tool these days. In fact, uh, recently our marketing group was doing a focus group with our members um, and asking them how they want to be communicated to. And number one was email, but number two was LinkedIn. They, they're asking to be communicated through LinkedIn. And so it's, it's a powerful way to communicate. It's a powerful way to share information. I think one of the things that I like about it is there's a history there. So if you don't connect on the very first time, well, you know, email goes out. If you don't see it, if you, it's deleted, it's lost. But LinkedIn, Facebook, they keep a history. People can go back and find it. That's the good side of social media. Um, the bad side of social media, and unfortunately we're not immune from this at AMP, um, it's happening across our society, is it becomes a place where people can, um, they can complain, they can have a loud voice, they can uh, make noise. And, and unfortunately, I think it's pretty well proven that it's not always done um, in truth. And there's a lot of misrepresentation in, and statements that are made that aren't not helping things. They aren't making it better. Well, a couple of things for us on social media. So we do use it as a tool to communicate to our members. We're, all on, we're on all the main platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok, etc. We use LinkedIn as the primary form, and then we're very active on Facebook. I'm not sure everybody knows this, but we actually have a full-time staff member that all they do is, is monitor and post to our social media. And um, we are watching it. So one of the questions people always ask is, how do I you know, get my questions answered about AMP? Well, you can post a, a question on social media and we're monitoring that and we will get that into the hands of somebody who can give you an answer. You can direct message us through those platforms. So we do use it, it's a tool that we use, um, but we recommend it's used with caution. Uh, recently, there's been quite a bit of activity on social media around AMP. And some of it hasn't been positive. Uh, some of it has um, been very critical. Unfortunately, some of it has taken things out of context or uh, shared things in a way that, um, frankly, were misrepresentation or partial truths or half-truths. And that really frustrates me. Um, we're aware of those things and we pay attention to them, but we don't always respond to them directly because we don't believe that real problems can get solved through social media. And I think that's been proven in our political world, in our, our social world. It does more to divide than it does to bring together. What we do do is we will reach out to individuals privately um, to try to resolve their concerns and problems. Um, often we will um, put up something that addresses the situation or the issue, but not directly, but sort of clarifies the truth and the facts of what's going on. You know, my advice to members, we're, we're not here, we come together as AMP, as volunteers, and we want to enjoy each other's company, we want to do good together, we want to move our industry forward, we want to serve society. I, I would challenge people that if you're going to post something on social media, is it accomplishing those goals or is it damaging those goals. Would it not be better if you have a concern to go to the chair of the committee where you have a concern or come to me or come to a board member and share the concern? Um, 
and then I, I would also really challenge as anybody's reading something on social media to take it with the right grain of salt to make sure that um, what you're getting is is really true. I, I read a really interesting article not long ago that talked about how to judge for yourself whether something you're reading on Facebook or LinkedIn is really true or is it the classic false news or misrepresentation. And they said some things. They said number one is, does the what you're reading uh, generate into you a sense of anger, frustration, aggravation at a very high level? Because if it does, it's probably been designed to do that on purpose. The opposite of that was, does, does you, do you so fully align with what they're saying that you, you know, you're just 100% buy in, you feel, yes, that's right, that's what it is. Take that with a grain of salt, because that has probably been designed to go with a particular side of thought. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. The other thing they said is look for things like misspelling of words or um, look to see does the content that's being provided, is it logical and does it make sense? Or are there things in there you just say, that's too hard to believe or that's not really how I know it or how I understand it to be true. I think that's really good advice as people look at the social media that's being uh, posted around AMP go going forward. Be judged, be look at things with a judgment that makes sure that what you're seeing is really, really true. Um, again, powerful tool. We use it in a lot of ways. We're on top of it. We pay attention to it. We respond when it, uh, it makes sense. We respond in the right ways. But like anything, it can be used for really, really good or it could be used for bad. And we want to make sure it's being used for good. With that said, do you find that the folks that are uh, posting these things on social media have volunteered before? For example, when I called you last year, I had my own problems, issues, concerns with the merger. And to be honest, as you know, I was a little upset. We had a great one hour conversation. You answered all of my questions. And yes, I've always volunteered at some capacity. But after that phone call, I amped up pun intended, <laughs> I amped up my volunteer level and started getting more involved so that just as you directed me during that call, I could make a difference. What would you say to those that haven't experienced any volunteering or getting involved yet they have this platform and they're providing these negative comments about AMP? Great question. Some of them do volunteer. Um, you know, one of the things about AMP is we are not like a traditional business. Um, the way decisions are made in particular are more like a government. It's more of a political process. So, you know, we have a board of directors and we have committees over everything we do and it's volunteers and everybody comes to the table with their own ideas and opinions. And so what I find is those folks who have volunteered um, and are posting on social media, often it's because, posting negative on social media, often it's because they didn't like the outcome of the decisions that were made by the committees. And um, that's a tough situation to be in, but, but the reality is I think good decisions get made for the organization and we have a responsibility to support those decisions even when we maybe didn't agree with them. So we do have some that volunteer. And then unfortunately there are a few that aren't actively involved in the organization and rather than follow what would be the proper way or the right way to resolve concerns or issues, they choose to go to social media. So we, we have the spectrum. Um, but yeah, sometimes they are people who volunteered and they've given frequently to the organization of their time and effort. And it always 
frustrates me, and I don't understand why they would choose to go that route rather than, you know, get on board with what their peers are deciding. You know, these are our peers that are making these decisions. It's not staff. It's not outsiders. It are it's employees and customers and the people who work in our industry who've come together. And if you believe that, you know, two minds are better than one. You know, you bring 15 people together to make decisions, you should get to a better decision for the organization. But we do recognize not everybody's going to agree with the answer. With that said, recently I was at an event and there were a lot of new members around us. And there were several of us old timers that have been members for 15, 20, 30 years having a conversation. And there were some misperceptions and comments about AMP being made by some of the old timers, if you will, where these new members or potential new members in our future were standing around us. So before they had a chance, they had a negative vibe about AMP. What would you say to them being the new members up and coming? And how do we address um, getting these folks to contact AMP directly and not go directly to events and share their negative opinion or perception about AMP with potential new members, which is ultimately our future. You know, this is something I, I never really understood. Um, it's so easy to complain. I guess I do understand it because it is somewhat human nature to complain. I complain uh, frequently, um, but I'm not sure they appreciate the damage that they're doing, especially when they're doing it in a public space and not using, again, the communication forms to share their thoughts and knowledge. The ones that really frustrate me is, is somebody who will, you know, wear the shirt, wear the brand, lead a meeting, be active in the organization, and then go out that evening and complain at a nightclub or a bar or have a conversation with um, somebody outside of the organization and batter the organization around like it's done something wrong. I, I don't think they appreciate the harm they're doing. Um, you mentioned young people. Yeah, we have a lot of young people coming into this organization, more than we've ever had. And, you know, when they see folks who've been around for a while, they see you doing good things on one side, but then turn around and, and complaining or bashing or being negative on the other. It's confusing to them. And I think it, it sends just the wrong message. And, and again, what good is coming from it? Are you really changing anything because you've complained? You might feel better for a few minutes, but nothing got better because of it. I, I would tell people to take that energy and put it back into the organization to help make change. Volunteer, get on the committees about in the areas you're interested in. Um, nominate to be an officer at a chapter or to be on a board. That's one of the things with the new self-nominating process, I think we're more open than we've ever been that people who wanna make a difference can. I wanna make another message. To those people who are watching this and they hear somebody complaining who is a long-time AMP member, or maybe a short-time AMP member. Um, take that with a grain of salt. Think about it and, and what has been your own experience with the organization. And encourage those folks who are new to our organization to not get caught in that trap, but to you know, get involved and make a difference. This is their organization. This is your organization. Um, you can make a difference if you follow the right path. The next topic I have is customer service, Bob. We've had several members reach out and ask, who, what, where do I contact? In the past, for education, when I reached out to Nice Legacy, I, there was such a delay that I just stopped contacting them. And so how do we get members 
to initiate the contact, to get their questions answered so that they're not answering questions for themselves and also get them the help that they need. Customer service, this is a big one, and this is one we're paying a lot of attention to. So first of all, let me answer the question of where to go to, to reach us. Um, we have the 1-800 number that's on the bottom of the website. That's the easiest place to get to. Um, we have an international number as well that people outside the United States can use. Um, those are there, that's a telephone call, but there's a lot of other ways. You can send an email to our customer service um, organization. You, I, you can do it through social media. We, we do monitor social media. And so if you have a question or a concern or you just need some help with something, you can go on LinkedIn onto the AMP page on LinkedIn and, and put in your question and somebody will get back to you on that. Um, so there is multiple ways to do it. My, reach me personally, if that's what you wanna do, it's robert.chalker at amp.org. Um, another good way to get it, and I will make sure it gets into the right hands of people who can answer the question. Now I wanna go to a little bit about performance of customer service. We recognize that we need to raise the game there. Um, we're not where we wanna be as an organization. Uh, first of all, I will tell you, we have a customer service department. It is incredibly dedicated, and they really do have good tools and resources available to them. And they can handle probably 80% of what comes to us in the form of questions. They are a tremendous resource. Um, just like all customer service organizations, they monitor their performance. They can tell you how long it took you to get an answer to their question or took them to get an answer to the question. Um, they're on top of things and do a really good job. A There's a couple specialty areas. So one of the things we've done is we've been listening to the customers. We've been doing focus groups and going out and talking to customers directly. And there are a couple areas where we're recognizing we have to do better. One of the big issues is when it's in one of those 20% of issues, when it goes outside of what customer service can do for you. And it has to go into another department or another group. We gotta find a better way to deal with that. Um, we're, we just don't do that very well. And, and at that point, things can slow down and um, take longer than what we want. The other questions that we're finding more and more are technical questions. People have a problem that they wanna solve related to corrosion. They have a, um, they're trying to use a standard or something like that. And for the most part, we don't have technical expertise on staff. So that requires us to get those answers often to go outside of staff or to refer them to a, a consultant or an expert. Um, we can do the simple questions, but that's not really our expertise. And I think that becomes a point of frustration. And then we also recognize we've got some specific groups that just need a higher quality of service. You know, you've got a, a QP contractor who's in the middle of an audit and the auditor's asking them a question and they need help with that question. Getting back to them within 24 hours is not acceptable. They need that answer now. And we've got to find a way to be able to do that. So we're actually bringing in a consultant um, in the next couple of weeks who's a guru in how we do customer service to make sure we're doing it well. We have some unique challenges. We're a 24 seven organization. We have people around the world every minute of the day that's doing something. How do you service the 24-7? Um, we're also a, a membership organization, but we also have limited resources. So we can't just throw money to solve the problem. We can't put the technology that an Amazon can put in place. We can't build that size of staff. We've gotta be really smart 
about how we solve this. And it can be done. There's a lot of organizations that do it and do it well. And so we're, we're looking at those. But we know this is, this is a problem that needs to be solved. I want to say one other thing about customer service. Typically, our wait times are pretty short um, if you call. We just got, I just looked at the numbers, and it's four to eight minutes on hold. And often, it's no time on hold. You call and you get in. But if you're on hold, one of the new features we have with our system is a callback system. You can ask for us to call you back so you don't have to stay on hold. Interesting, not a lot of people are using it. I don't know if they don't trust it, um, but it's a great feature because you don't have to sit there and be tied up with your time. You go into the queue, you'll get, they'll get to you just as quick as they would get to you if you sat on that phone for the time. And there are certain times of the year when we're really busy and that future or that features a benefit, you know, leading up to conference, our, our call center gets a lot more calls at that point in time. So use that feature, it's a great feature. Does AMP feel that there were lessons learned from the merger or areas to reconsider moving forward where we want to address things and possibly look at changing how we initially coped with the changes at the merger? Yes, there's a lot of areas we're, we're looking at. You know, when you merge two organizations like we did, um, you don't get everything right. You do your absolutely absolute best, right? So if, if you remember when, when we brought the merger together, first of all, we used an outside consultant to program manage so that we had expertise. These are people who bring mergers of associations together all the time. So they bring a lot of lessons learned and a lot of expertise and knowledge to help us do it. We put committees together um, with over 200 people. We recognized them at uh, the awards banquet at conference uh, this year. It was great to watch people receiving their recognition and thank you for the time they gave, but over 200 people in 20 some committees came together to design what AMP was gonna be. But there's no way you get it right the first time. And there are some places where we're looking at that we think we need to do better at, we need to do um, make changes to. We're capturing those. We're working with the committees to address them. Um, and frankly, there's some work that's still not done from the merger. The awards committee has not put a plan yet in place for awards. We're still dealing with some of the certifications, the merging of certifications. We're still, we've got work to do on conference, for example. You know, conference was a great success and we got tremendous feedback. We had over 5,000 people attend. But the next morning, there were a team of people already looking at how do we make this better? We know there were shortcomings of it. So that idea of continuous improvement and looking to be better is core to what we're doing. Last week, um, we had the executive committees from the board here in Houston to go through and identify what are those opportunities for improvements. They identified over 50 different things that we think we can get better at. Now, we can't deal with 50 at one time. So they prioritize and they have eight key initiatives that they're going to focus on to get better. The board is focusing on. So that is a continuous part. And again, give us your feedback. If there are places where you think we can get better or we need to improve, send us an email. Come to one of the focus groups that we're holding. Again, use robert.chalker at amp.org. That is all being used to design what we're going to do going forward and how we're going to make the organization better. The next question we have from a member is, is the ethics course a money grab? So if you could comment about the ethics course as well as the money involved with the course. 
Stephanie, I can't tell you how many times I get that question. Was the ethics course a money grab? It was absolutely not a money grab. First of all, let me address the money. We're only charging what it takes to offset the cost of that course. Um, it's not, believe me, it's not making a huge, significant difference. And, and truth is, we run AMP basically at break even. So our, you know, our budget is approved by the board of directors and part of their direction is we are not a for-profit organization. We put every dime we make back into the organization in some form or way, whether it's improving a product or program or giving a scholarship to a student or uh, helping reduce the cost of, of attendance to uh, events for certain individuals, whatever it is, all the money we get goes back into the organization. The budget's a break-even budget. Now, back to the reason for the ethics course. Um, it was absolutely needed. I, I wish I could tell you that um, everybody who is a member of our organization and everybody who carries a certification acts and behaves in an ethical way. Uh, unfortunately, we are made up of a population just like the rest of, of the country, the rest of the world, and we have people who cover a spectrum of understanding of what is ethical and what's not ethical. Um, and we have numerous breaches of it. We, we actually resisted to putting an ethics course in place until we reached a point where there were so many issues that were coming forward. We have an ethics committee that reviews every complaint that's issued against a certification holder. And we were seeing complaints, everything from sexual harassment to lying on contracts, to falsifying records, uh, to falsifying their certification cards, um, not renewing them, but changing the date on it. The, the, the creativity used to violate the ethics was amazing to me. And we just can't have that. And we have a responsibility, um, legally have a responsibility to assure that we're delivering a very clear message about ethics to our certification holders. And we're not alone in this, by the way. Almost every certification, whether a professional engineer issued by the state or your, you know, a certification coming from any of the other organizations are now requiring ethics as part of this. The question I get is, well, why isn't it just rolled into the class and why is it a separate class? That's because we recognize that as professionals, you are being offered ethics training in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of companies that require ethics um, as part of their employment. Um, you may be part of another organization. Maybe you're a PE and you got your ethics training through the state that you're a PE. We want to be able to recognize those as well. So if we do have a program that if you've already taken an ethics course or have had ethics training, you can use that in replacement for the AMP ethics course. That saves everybody money. And so we could have rolled it all in. There still would have been a cost associated with it because that course had to be developed and maintained. But this way, people can use the training and not have to go spend going through hearing the same thing multiple times. And so that's one thing I want to make sure people understand. If your company does ethics training, if you have um, gotten your ethics training through another certification or another program, you can submit that to us. We'll review it. Many of them we've already approved, and there's a list of approved uh, training. And we'll accept that in substitution for our own training. The point with this is, is to raise the awareness in today's world where ethics are falling down everywhere. We constantly hear of stories where ethics is broken down to raise awareness that our industry is held at, at a high standard when it comes to this. The final question for episode six is, what is PDH? How does it affect me? 
and how does it affect my certifications? PD8, those are professional development hours. Um, it's, a, it's a common acronym in the education and certification world, and it affects you usually one of two ways. So, so these are hours that you gain because you take some form of continuing education. Um, a PDH, you basically get hour for hour. So if you take an eight hour course on a particular topic, you'd get eight PDH credits. Some of our certifications require that you have so many PDH hours to stay, keep your certification current. Also, there are other certifications who will allow you to use our PDHs. Again, um, maybe something like your, um, if you're a professional engineer, your state education, your state board that certifies that, or if you are a, um, a contractor to keep your QP current, etc. So basically all they are is hours of education. And the whole reason behind them is that we believe that as professionals you need to stay up to par with what's happening in your industry. And education is the way you do that. I happen to be a certified association executive. I have to have 30 hours of PDH. Um, every three years in order to renew my certification. It's just part of a mindset that says continuing education is important. And so depending on your certification, you will have PDH requirements, but more so those PDHs that you're taking can be used for you professionally. I even know some employers that require um, PDH from their employees. We do at AMP. All of AMP's employees are required to take 32 hours of PDH a year staying up to date with what's happening in their industry so they can do their jobs well. Bob, thank you for answering members' questions on this roundtable series. How can members reach you and how can members reach AMP and where can they follow AMP on social media? Um, well, thank you. And thank you for once again, Stephanie, taking the time for, uh, with us. Um, so first of all, to reach me, it's at robert.chalker at amp.org. It's that easy and I will answer any email that I get or make sure it gets into the hands of somebody who can answer it. As far as social media, um, LinkedIn is our primary platform. If you go on and search for AMP, you're going to find a lot of pages. The one thing I would do is make sure you find the actual official page. Same with Facebook. Um, there, we have a lot of activity there as well. What I will recommend is get involved with it. It's a great place for you to put your comments and to get your questions asked and to you know, bring your ideas to the table. So. I, I support our involvement in social media. I just give the caution to do it the right way and do it with the intent for good and to help us get better as an organization.